So the, the um, topic that uh, I had described in my abstract is going to be part of this talk, but maybe it's only going to be the first slide, like the second slide. Um, and what I'm going to do is instead, since I've seen how people struggle with the 15 minutes uh, time limit, uh, to fit an idea, a talk size idea to 15 minutes, instead what I'm going to do is give you a kind of quick tour of some of different uh, uh, thoughts or areas of uh, research of mine um, in this area, um, different topics of research. So the overview of basically four points I'm going to try to take instead of one. Um, uh, I will talk about this uh, transparent computationalism, or you might call it transparent defense of computationalism, but after that I'll move on to uh, some considerations that seem to suggest the church Turing thesis um, is false, but I'll argue for that in a different way than um, some other people uh, here or in the community might have done so. Um, I'll make some remarks about pan-computationalism and why I don't think it's useful for the purposes of what I'm doing, just trying to, in a way similar to, say, um, what Martin was doing yesterday, trying to understand uh, what, really, what is uh, computation in our intuitive sense? What, uh, to put it as, um, in the way Brian Smith does, um, what distinguishes my BMW from my IBM? Uh, you know, what is it that makes these things special, um, uh, from, makes this thing different, <coughs> this thing different from this thing? Um, the pen computationists would say, well, everything's computational. I'm trying to resist that like Martin is. And um, then I'll end with some uh, considerations that to me seem to suggest that even if computationalism is false, even if um, computationalism is the view that mind or cognition is computation, suppose that's false. Suppose um, maybe the considerations that Maggie Bowden was bringing up um, in her talk, maybe uh, there are aspects of mind that just uh, couldn't be understood in a purely functionalist computational sense. I still think strong AI might be possible, so I'll try to explain why. Okay, this is the four topics. So first, what do I mean by transparent computationalism? Well, um, you can't read that second word, but um, my the way I look at it, and the, the way that I think you can avoid a lot of uh, mis or avoid a lot of miscommunication in this area is to distinguish between two readings of the computationalist claim, the claim that mind is computation. You can either understand that in an opaque sense or in a transparent sense. The opaque sense is something about our current orthodox notions of computation. It's the claim that the current concepts we use to understand what computation is, the concepts we teach our students, uh, traditional notions such as Turing machine, recursive function theory, algorithm, etc. That the, the, the opaque construal of computation, computationalism, is that those concepts are going to be useful in understanding the nature of mind. And that's been uh, the dominant view of computationalism uh, so far because um, that's, um, that hasn't been the possibility of a transparent alternative until recently. What do I mean by transparent construal? The transparent construal still says mind is computation but says, by mindless computation, I mean whatever turns out to be the best account of this stuff is going to be the best account of this stuff, or it's going to be very useful for understanding this stuff. And that doesn't presuppose that Turing machine theory, recursive function theory, and algorithms are the best account of this stuff. So it isn't committing one to saying that those concepts are going to be useful for understanding this stuff. Now, the reason why I changed my talk is that after
after hearing some talks here and talking to people, I got the impression that this is a view that many people here think is quite reasonable and sensible. And so I thought an entire talk on just this distinction really wouldn't be of uh, much interest to you. But I might be wrong, so feel free in the discussion to, uh, to uh, complain about this distinction or whatever. But as it turns out, I think um, a lot of critiques of computationalism are really only critiques of the opaque notion of computationalism. It's only a critique of uh, the current notions of computation, Turing machine theory, recursive function theory, etc. It's a complaint that those notions can't account for mind very well. And I might agree with that, and yet still deny that computationalism is false in the transparent sense, because I think those notions don't explain these things very well. They explain things about actual computers. I'm not denying that, but they don't capture maybe the whole story about computation or what's essential about computation, etc. As I think the pan-computationalist, uh, I would call it uh, uh, absurdity, suggests that really if those notions apply equally well to this or to the universe as a whole, then it can't really be a good account of what's special about uh, the thing under the table. So computationalism in a transparent sense is not threatened by, the, by many of these critiques. I'm not saying all critiques of computationalism are done away with, but several of them from some of the familiar ones, like the diagonal arguments against uh, computationalism, like from Gerdelukas and Penrose, or the Chinese room, for instance. And uh, I don't have time to go and to show you step by step by how these, say, the dynamical objection to computationalism can be refuted this way, but um, uh, you can, uh, there's a, a paper of mine by the same title, Transparent Computationalism, that you can look at if you want. Now, I said I connect this up with um, remarks about the Church Turing thesis. Well, I just now mentioned uh, these diagonal arguments, uh, Gerdelian arguments against uh, the possibility of artificial intelligence. And I think uh, there's a, a way to understand those results that um, says something very important about computation and the relationship between computation and mind, uh, but doesn't establish what the people who put forward those arguments want to establish. They want to, but they think that these arguments establish the falsity of uh, strong AI, even weak AI, they think. Um, I don't think those arguments show that, but I do think the argument is plausible, but the argument does show something um, very important. And I think these, uh, just the whole idea of the church drawing thesis, um, the claim that uh, these certain set of formal entities uh, uh, can uh, anything that uh, can be computed at all in some informal sense can be computed by something in this formal set. I think that's, uh, that very thesis is, is making the distinction that I was making in the transparent uh, opaque distinction before. There's this intuitive notion of computation and then there's this actual current formal uh, notions of what computation is. And um, I, the, the transparent opaque distinction is saying we should pay attention to this intuitive notion of computation and, try to, and, and the claim is that whatever turns out to be the best account of this will be the best account of mine, not whatever happens to be in this set currently right now. Um, anyway, so as I said, I don't think the diagonal arguments actually show what they purport to. And um, I, the, way, the reason why I think that is this. I'm not going to object, you know, it would take me a long time to go through the arguments and, and all the different objections that have been made, but uh, hopefully if you know what these arguments are like, um, my response or what, what, what these arguments are, then my response will make sense to you. Um, I think all these arguments are doing when they uh, prove that, say, there are some functions 
apparently that humans can, uh, so can compute or give answers to correctly and reliably uh, that Turing machines can't. I think they're only trading on, these arguments are only trading on a general property. I think it's a general property for any set. If you say, um, for any set of things that can answer questions, you can always construct a question such that, by definition, the things in that set won't be able to give a correct answer to it. And things outside that set won't be so forbidden. Because the question itself refers to uh, the members of the set. So for instance, um, yes, it's true that Turing machines can't answer the Turing machine non-halting question. But then again, humans can't answer the human non-halting question, or, non, or the, the human um, uh, uh, answering no question. So if I ask you, you know, something like, uh, is your answer to this question uh, not no? Um, I think that's how it goes. Is your answer to this question not yes? Sorry. Is your, is your answer to this question not yes? You can't say yes because then you, you, know, you see the familiar problem. That's exactly the same uh, problem that Turing machines are running into with the non-halting question. But what uh, maybe a lot of people haven't seen is that that's a general uh, problem for any set of things answering questions. You'll always be able to construct a question that they can't answer because it's been constructed about that set, things in that set, and yet things outside the set won't be prevented. So I don't think this actually, so although it's true that there are functions that Turing machines can't compute that we can, this isn't interesting because uh, everybody has, everything in the world has a set of questions that they can't answer and think other things can. And so it would, to think that somehow that inability of the Turing machines to answer this non-halting question is interesting, to think that's interesting would be like thinking that, suppose I had a twin, Ron and Don, and uh, you wonder if we can do exactly the same sort of things. Well, intuitively, we can. But then I get smart and I say, well, notice um, I can sit on Don's lap, but Don can't sit on Don's lap. So therefore, I can do more things than Don, right? Well, <coughs> yes, technically speaking, there's a thing sitting on Don's lap that you can do that Don can't, Ron, that Don can't do. But notice, Ron, that Don can do something that you can't do. Don can sit on Ron's lap, and Ron can't sit on Ron's lap. So therefore, uh, in a, in, on the token level, there are different things we can do, but on the type level, we can do exactly the same set of things, and we have the same set of inabilities. We both cannot sit on our own laps. Um, so I think it's the same with Turing machines and humans and whatever question and answer you want to put forward. But there is an important point here for, comp uh, for computability, and that's why I'm talking about the church Turing thesis, because I had to admit that Actually, strictly speaking, there are functions that Turing machines cannot compute that we can. And that's just, it seems to me, a straightforward rejection of the Church Turing thesis. There are things you follow uh, Penrose's argument in his book. I think you're following a deterministic procedure for establishing the answer to a question. So uh, we know there's a deterministic procedure, and yet, by the construction of the question, we know there's no Turing machine that can compute it. So therefore, the Church Turing thesis is false. And uh, you can imply, for, well, for instance, that odd number of Turing machines can't compute all the functions that even number Turing machines can. Um, they can't. There are some functions that they can compute that even number Turing machines cannot. Um, same for Turing machines and ourselves. But note, you might alarm bells might be going off in your head about universality. Say, wait a minute, we've got a universality result about Turing machines. So uh, how could it possibly be that odd number Turing machines can compute some functions that even number Turing machines cannot? Um, and I can talk to you about that later, but really the universality result isn't what you think it is. It isn't about, Turing did not show, no one has shown as far as I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Turing did not show that there exists a machine that can compute any 
function that a Turing machine can. He showed that there exists a machine that can simulate any Turing machine uh, computing any function. And simulating a Turing machine computing a function is not the same as computing a function. Um, and it's uh, important that you make that technical distinction, even though for practical purposes, a simulation of a TM running computing a function would do the same work for us. For, as far as the mathematical results go, you have to pay attention to the distinction between simulating a TM computing the function app and actually computing the function app. If you make that distinction, you realize that what I'm saying here doesn't violate Turing's theorem about universal machines. Okay, I said, how much time do I have? Two more minutes and then extra time. Okay, thanks. So I'll, I think I've only got three slides or something like that. Um, I said I'd say something about pan computationalism. Obviously, I told you that I think not everything. For, for my, I want to understand what makes this stuff special um, as opposed to this stuff. And so therefore, I'm not going to be happy with a weak notion of com computa what computation is. It just, it's called, just says they're both computers. Um, so I think you can reject a trivial sense of pan computationalism. That's like Putnam and Searle's notion of pan computationalism. The idea that everything realizes every computation. We've heard talks about that. I've written some pa a paper about that. So it's David Chalmers about why that's wrong. And we rely on a notion of causation to, to rule out this very trivial notion of pan computationalism. Um, and contra what Mark Bishop says and said earlier in this conference, I don't think that implies that computationalism is non-physicalist. And I can tell you about that more, more about that if you want. Um, but there's a more plausible sense of pan computationalism, which is everything has some computational description. That's what most people, like um, <coughs> Martin pointed out, that it's the shapes and, and homograph notion of perhaps the pan computational. Well, that's one of the varieties of pan computationalism I'm talking about here. Um, and I, like I told you, I don't think that's not the kind, that's not the notion of computation that's sufficient for my purposes. I want to understand what makes this thing special. Um, so I think the answer there is uh, that we, if you want to think, think we've heard it suggested in this that well, this is a computer, but this is a universal computer, and I don't think that's what's interesting about computer. Uh, I don't think that's the boundary line between computational and non-computational. I think there are some computers that are non-universal. For me, what's the boundary line is semantics. Um, so something that will count is, uh, it'll be crucial to something being a uh, computational system that it have um, some semantics. And so for me, uh, computation cannot, it's a post-semantic, post-intentional notion. It requires an account of intentionality and semantics. It can't provide one. Uh, so last point is about the relationship between computation and mind. I was, uh, I think that even if, uh, Traditionally, there are these two ways that people think computation might be relevant to uh, technological or artificial intelligence. One is weak AI. Computation is just a good way of simulating minds, just like you can simulate hurricanes or the digestive system or whatever, uh, airline traffic. Um, but there's, there's, as you know, strong AI, which is the claim that actually cognition is computation. And therefore, if we get the right computation, we actually have a mind. Well, Suppose the claim that cognition is computation is false. Suppose computationalism is false, even transparent computationalism. Suppose it turns out that our best accounts of this stuff just aren't useful for understanding what goes on here. Suppose, for instance, that um, some of the ideas Maggie was talking about is correct. Um, suppose that, um, I'm joking myself. Uh, okay, let me go to the next slide. 
Um, suppose that, for instance, life, uh, this is Maggie didn't claim this, but suppose it turns out that life is crucial for mentality, and suppose that life isn't a functional notion, suppose that it requires some non-functional properties like metabolism, suppose metabolism is a functional notion. Um, computationalism would be false, but I still think strong AI would be possible in that situation. Um, I still think that you could program a system, the right kind of system, such that it might be alive and therefore have a mind, possibly have a mind. Um, I don't think that the falsity of computationalism in that case would imply that strong AI is impossible. Why? Back to the previous slide. Because there's a third way of understanding the relationship of computation to the possibility of artificial intelligence. It's not the, it's not the belief that cognition is computation. It's not the belief that you can just simulate minds. It's something in between. It's that suitably, well, computation is the ultimate plastic. Um, by programming this device in the right way, I actually change its physical properties. So if I have the right kind of base physical system to start with, it's possible that if I just give it the right code, it will have other physical properties that meet the definition, whatever definition you're requiring for um, mind, even though that isn't a functional notion. So I might be able to make this thing a metabolizer by sending the nanobots that make it up or something like that, the right programs so that they now become metabolizers. They now do metabolism. So this is this intermediate, it's in between the claim that uh, cognition is computation and mere simulation. It's a third possibility that I hope 